Section 15 of The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories by Nicholas Carter. Nick Carter's Ghost Story, Chapter 5, Colonel Richmond's Night Adventure. Of course, Nick questioned the servant. To have failed to do that would have been to throw light upon his real suspicions. She was a tall, slender, and rather pretty Irish girl named Annie O'Neill. Her answers to all questions were plain and simple. She told what she had been doing on the previous day while Mrs. Stevens was at lunch. She had not been in the dining room all the time, but had come in twice or thrice when summoned. During the remainder of the time, she had been in the kitchen. Nobody had been with her there. When Nick left the house, he rode half a mile back along the road, and then dismounted and sat down under a big tree. In a few minutes, a farmer's wagon came along. A young man, who looked like a farm laborer, was riding beside the farmer. He did not ride far beyond the place where Nick was sitting, in a few minutes they sat together under the tree. The young farm laborer was Patsy. "'I got your message,' said Patsy. "'I took the chance to ride over from the station with that fellow, "'and I've asked him a few questions about the house where you want me to go on duty. "'It seems that there's no show to get in there on any pretext. "'I'll have to camp around on the outside like a grass-eater.' "'That won't hurt you, Patsy, my lad,' said Nick. "'The weather's good.' You're to keep an eye on the whole household, but on Miss Stevens especially. This is the way the case looks at present. The girl is doing the work on this end, in connection with some confederate concealed in Colonel Richmond's house. You understand the game. It's to work the spirit racket on Colonel Richmond until he buys the jewels from his daughter or her husband and gives them to Miss Stevens. You must watch for the system by which she communicates with her confederate in Richmond's house. They work the mails, but there must be some quicker means to use in emergencies. Try to snare a letter, or get a sight of the other party. And be sure not to jump at conclusions, Patsy. I've told you how the case looks, but it may be any other way. I haven't begun to work down to it yet. Nick mounted his horse and Patsy strolled away in the direction of the Stevens' house. When the detective got back to Colonel Richmond's, it was well along in the afternoon. He spent the remainder of his day in exploring the secret recesses of the old house. It was, indeed, a marvelous place, and Nick got a very high opinion of the ingenuity of the man who had designed its mysterious passages. He got little else, however, one or two discoveries he certainly made. They were important as indicating that somebody had recently been in the secret passages. There was nothing to show what that person had been doing there, but the probability was, of course, that he had concealed himself in the old part of the house while preparing for his operations in Mrs. Pond's room or while escaping from them. These indications were very vague, and did not point to the principal in this affair, that mysterious thief who worked invisibly and by such strange methods. After dinner, Horace Richmond took Nick aside 
for what he termed a discussion of this ghostly rot. "'The very devil is in this business,' said Horace. "'The servants are getting scared out of their wits. "'They all sleep in the old part of the house, you know, "'and there isn't one of them who hasn't some story to tell "'of what goes on there in the night. "'Some of these yarns are the old-fashioned business "'about sighs and groans, "'and doors opening and shutting without anybody to open and shut them. "'But under it all, I must say, "'that there seems to be a basis of fact. "'There's John Gilder, the coachman. "'You've seen him.' "'Does he look like a man who can be scared easily?' "'I should say not,' laughed Nick. "'He looks to me like a Yankee horse-trader, "'who is too intimate with the devil in his ways "'to be at all alarmed about them.' "'Just so. "'Well, John Gilder came to me today "'and told me, just as calmly as I tell you the time of day, "'that he'd seen the ghost of Miss Lavinia Richmond. "'He saw her right in this room where we are now.' They had gone to the large dining hall in the old mansion. Horace sometimes used it as a smoking-room, but otherwise it was seldom visited, except when the house was full of guests and all the old part was thrown open. It was a long and high room, finished in dark wood, and decorated with moldering portraits in the worst possible style of art. At one end was a gigantic fireplace, which was closed by a screen of boards. He told me, continued Horace, that he was passing through here late last night, near midnight, he said, and that he saw Lavinia Richmond standing just about where you stand now. He came in by that door, behind me, and she was directly facing him. He says that he didn't move or yell or do anything, but just stood staring at her. She paid no attention whatever to him, but passed across the room and went out by that other door, which opened as she approached and closed after her of itself. Then he ran for his room. He claims that he wasn't scared, only a bit nervous. You can believe that if you want to. I tell you that he was scared, so that he won't get over it in a year. If it wasn't for that, I might think he was lying. But when a man like Gilder quietly invites the footman whom he always hated, to take half of his bed for a few weeks. It's a sure thing that he's seen something out of the ordinary. And the footman, as I learn, was mighty glad to accept the invitation, for he's been having a few experiences of his own. Now, Mr. Carter, you and I believe that these things are done by some clever trickster. It may be that some bogus medium, who used to get the colonel's good money away from him, wants more of it, and is taking this means of driving my uncle back to the fold of true believers. I'm beginning to believe that that may be the fact. But whatever it is, the case is almighty serious. Here's a nice old man, living happily, and gradually getting away from his delusion. Here's an agent of the devil trying to drive this old man back to his delusion, and make a lunatic of him, for that's what the doctor says will certainly happen. I say it's too bad, not to mention the jewels at all. Now, what are we going to do about it? Catch the rascal, said Nick promptly, and catch him mighty quick. Well, I hope you'll succeed. I tell you, Mr. Carter, I feel toward Colonel Richmond all the affection that I would give my father, if he were alive, 
and I can't bear to see him driven out of his wits in this infernal way. Have no fear, said Nick. We'll save him. This trickery with the servants may give us a chance to catch our man. They returned to the parlor in the new part of the house. Colonel Richmond was not there. Where is he? asked Horace, anxiously, of Mrs. Pond. He has gone to his room. He said that the excitement of this affair had worn him out completely. Horace looked relieved. Nick said that he, too, would go to his room. He went, but he did not remain long in it. He had a fancy for a quiet stroll around the house on the outside. It would be interesting to know whether anybody entered or left it during the night. One of the secret passages of the old house communicated with a sort of tunnel, which had its outer extremity and an old well about twenty yards away. This tunnel had caved in long before, but had been restored by Colonel Richmond, who wished to preserve all the old-time peculiarities of the place. The inner end of it had been closed by a strong door, so as to prevent anybody who might have the secret from entering in that way, but Nick was strongly of the opinion that it would not keep out the persons who were haunting the house, in case they desired to come in. If anybody was going in and out secretly, this seemed to be the readiest way, so Nick had resolved to watch the well that night. A little house, with sides of latticework, had been built over it, and vines covered it. Nick stealthily crept into its shadow, and prepared for his vigil, but it was not destined to be a long one. He had not been there ten minutes before he saw a figure hastening along one of the numerous paths which wound through the grounds. This person evidently wished to avoid observation, and that was enough for Nick. He immediately started in pursuit. He trailed his man to the edge of the colonel's grounds. During this pursuit the man kept in the shadow of some trees, and Nick had no opportunity to see him clearly. But as the man stepped out into the highway, a ray of moonlight fell upon him, and Nick recognized him in an instant. It was Colonel Richmond. Why this man should be leaving his own house, by stealth and under the cover of darkness, was an interesting problem. Nick resolved to know all about it before the night was much older, so he trailed along. The colonel walked up the highway with rapid strides. About half a mile from the house, he found a carriage standing under the shadow of a tree. Evidently he expected to find it just there, for he immediately jumped into it, and the driver whipped up his horse. Nick was unable to see the driver, for the carriage was a covered buggy, and had been standing with its back toward him. The horse was evidently a good one, but Nick overhauled him and got hold of the carriage behind. There was no chance for him to ride there, but his grip on the wagon helped him along, and he ran about eight miles quite comfortably. His presence so near was entirely unsuspected by the occupants of the carriage. He was favorably situated for overhearing their conversation, but unfortunately they did not say anything. Nick discovered that the driver was a woman, but he could only guess at her identity. At last they turned suddenly out of the road, into the grounds of a private house. The sound of the wheels was evidently heard within, and the front door was thrown open, letting out considerable light from the hall. 
Nick could not go too near that light, so he let go and crept into some shrubbery. The carriage drew up before the door, and the colonel and his companion hurried into the house, leaving the horse tied. The detective failed to obtain a good view of the woman, or of the person who had opened the door. The latter seemed to be a servant. When the door had closed, Nick crept up. He maneuvered carefully, and discovered that there was somebody sitting in the hall just inside the door. Entrance by that means was out of the question. However, he succeeded without much difficulty in entering the house from the rear. He found himself in the kitchen, from which he passed to a dining room. This apartment was almost totally dark. Nick felt his way to the side opposite the kitchen and came to a heavy pair of folding doors. From the other side came a confused murmur of voices, as if many persons were talking in hushed tones. Presently they became quite still, and then there arose the sound of music. It was a slow and somber strain, as from an organ gently played. Nick was crouching against the door among the folds of a curtain which could be drawn across. Suddenly he heard a slight sound behind him. He turned noiselessly. A white figure flitted across the room. Nick was at one end of the folding doors, and the figure passed to the other end and into the corner beyond. There it suddenly vanished. The light was so dim that Nick could not tell exactly what had happened. It certainly seemed as if the figure had gone straight through the wall. About a minute later, another form appeared in the same way. It crossed the room and vanished. Good, muttered Nick. I'll back these ghosts against any that Colonel Richmond can raise in his house. Almost immediately there was the sound of a voice in the room beyond the doors. Does any person present recognize a departed friend? it said. Then Colonel Richmond's voice arose, hoarse and trembling with emotion. Aunt Lavina, he said, tell me what you wish me to do. I will obey you absolutely. I thought so, chuckled the detective. The colonel has come to attend a spiritualistic seance. End of section 15 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona